Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger, no thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast, mark of the beast. Cease and desist, increase the peace. Move in silence, don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. to all the martyrs. Say your prayer, Heavenly Father. Black lives matter, black lives matter. All right, guys, welcome back to another live episode of the Creative Gore. Back after a nice little hiatus. How are you, Professor Israel? I'm doing well, sir. It's great to see you. We've been gone for a minute. Now we're back with the jump off. Absolutely. I mean, so many things have happened. Nas dropped the album. It's just like it is 2020, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I'm feeling ultra black. (laughs) True, true. Especially with the bars. I got you. And then, yes, we actually have a wonderful surprise for all of our audience. And thank you for joining us once again this Tuesday evening. We have back an amazing person, a a beautiful spirit, a beautiful soul, our sister, Dr. Ashley Oliver, who's going to talk to us about some amazing things in the mental health field, specifically suicide awareness, which I think is very important, especially in our community. And we're going to play a clip from Dr. Ashley Oliver's Instagram, which the link is in the description. So make sure you follow her content. She's making a lot of amazing content out there and raising a lot of awareness. This week is National Suicide Prevention Week, and today is World Suicide Prevention Day. Here are the facts. The World Health Organization estimates that every year, one million people die from suicide worldwide. It is predicted that by the end of 2020, the rate of death by suicide will increase to one person every 20 seconds. In the US, the CDC reports that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death for all Americans and is the third leading cause of death for people aged 15 to 44. Men are four times more likely to die from suicide than women. However, women are more likely to attempt suicide than men. With that being said, suicide can be prevented and you can help by one, recognizing the warning signs, two, openly discussing thoughts of suicide, and three, reaching out to trained professionals that are equipped to help. Never be ashamed. You do not have to deal with feelings of hopelessness on your own. We can and will get through this together. Absolutely. And a powerful message. So let us welcome to the stage, Dr. Ashley Oliver. Thank you for joining us once again. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Great to see you. Absolutely. And let's just get right into it. So for those who may not know Dr. Ashley Oliver, suicide is not only a very important topic, but it's something that is, I would say, grossly underestimated, as your video said. 
So for those who may not know, could you allow, could you inform people about how prevalent it is and how serious we all need to take this? Absolutely. Um, so just to drop a few just general stats, um, according to the CDC, so in the U.S., suicide is the 10th leading cause of death for people of all ages, right? So every day, that's approximately 123 Americans um, die by suicide. Wow. And that means that there is one death every 12 minutes. That's the prevalence alone. And depression, as we know, which obviously is one of the risk factors that go into um, suicide, uh, affects about 20 to 25% of all Americans over the age of 18 that we know of. And that's just people who are formally diagnosed by a, psychi a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, another thing that we know is that suicide takes the lives of over 44,000 Americans every year. And we also know that even though suicide attempts um, happen on, for both men and women, women more often will attempt suicide than men. However, men are more often to complete suicide than women. So it is very prevalent in our community, um, specifically in the African-American community. Um, it is very prevalent as well. Um, we also know that one of the main factors is that if you are within a minority group, if you are identify as LGBTQ+, um, you are at increased chances of um, attempting suicide. So these, these statistics are really important, not just for numbers sake and not just to record them, but they're really important, really essentially because um, suicide is preventable. And because it is preventable, we really need to do the due diligence of, all right, here's the warning signs, here's the risk factors, and this is the supports that we need to offer people when they're in time of crisis. And it's important that everyone knows that, not just trained healthcare professionals, but people know how to deal with it because given these stats, we all know someone based either someone who has committed suicide, um, people who think about it, people who talk about it. And so it's important for us to really dive into, okay, what do we do about it? Rather than just like, eh, hot button topic, mm, let's not touch it because it's a little too too much to deal with or too much to talk about. Hmm. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, I've been working in, in schools my entire career. And, you know, the, the reality is that, you know, I've, I've witnessed and experienced um, folks who are going through this, um, folks who are wrestling with it. And, you know, there's there's often a time where just listening to folks like, you know, I never thought that person was going through something. They don't seem like the type who would do such a thing. Um, then you also see these memes or you see some of these things on social media where they say, you know what, check on your strong friends. Um, you mentioned a little bit about your your the signs or the warning signs, um, you know, because sometimes if we watch certain movies or if we watch certain things such as the stuff that's been popular on Netflix in terms of like 13 Reasons Why, et cetera. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, these warning signs, these things we could look out for and some of the misconceptions about who um, is the person who's dealing with this. Absolutely. So some of the just general warning signs and we're going to. Um, definitely talk a little bit more about adults. So specifically for adults, some of the warning signs would be increased alcohol use or drug use, um, aggressive behavior. Um, one of the bigger ones is people who are withdrawing um, from friends, family, loved ones, from their community. Um, a lot of times it can look like 
what we would consider more dramatic, like mood swings, just differences in their personality, um, really high highs and really low lows. Um, also very impulsive behavior, you know, like very sporadic um, impulses. Um, and a lot of times too, um, it's important to know um, what, if you ever see like some of these, they're called like suicidal behaviors, but it's important to know if you see people like collecting or saving pills or even weapons, or even if you see people giving away possessions, that's preparation in a lot of ways for, you know, committing suicide. And you'll kind of see some people like, especially with 13 Reasons Why, the whole premise of the show is that they're tying up loose ends. They have these, you know, um, means that they're reaching out to people trying to tie up these loose ends, like organizing things, um, reaching out to people, paying off debt, saying goodbye to friends and family, kind of having like their one last hurrah. Um, these are warning signs. And obviously there are a lot more that lead up to it, but these are the kind of warning signs in the more final stages of, okay, when there's a plan, there's means, there's access, there is more of a thought that goes along with it. Here's what you need to know. Here's some things to look out for. Hmm. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for that. And I mean, thinking about that, that's a, that's a lot that I think we all take for granted because you know, life is a busy life. Our world is designed to be overstimulating. So those little things and nuances we rarely are going to pay attention to and definitely will overlook. So usually I, it usually comes as a shock when it happens like, Oh wow. I wish we could have, we could have known. Is there, is there a, a specific way that people in the, the social network of someone who might be going through this type of depression can do to give them the space or the opportunity to share what they're going through without, you know, uh, trying to pry a little too much? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you asked that because I think one of the biggest myths is that when people, people often will believe that like, if I talk to someone about suicide, then I'm planting this seed in their mind that they're somehow going to either try and commit suicide or get thoughts in their mind if it wasn't there before by asking those questions. And that's actually not true. Um, it's actually the, the opposite. Research has found that if you actually go and ask directly, like, are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about harming yourself? Have you made a plan? Have you thought about what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it? Um, that actually leads to prevention. Um, that actually leads to talking openly about how people are feeling. Because what the problem really is that people are bottling things up. And that can include the strong friend, right? Like the strong friend's not telling you, I feel incredibly weak and I feel like I have no way out. Um, people are just going, 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 especially with COVID. You know, I think the good thing about the pandemic, uh, for lack of a better word, is that, you know, it's, it's a little less taboo to have these conversations because now there's this push for mental health awareness. There's the push for, you know, check on your strong friend. There's the push of um, here are the, is access and real-time access to psychologists, therapists. You know, therapy has now become almost a thing that is, um, uh, is considered a good thing in, in some spaces, so to speak. And so I think it's, it's just really important to have open discussions. It's never um, an issue or a problem to ask, ask the questions. And if you feel overwhelmed by asking the questions, then, you know, you can definitely redirect those questions to a mental health professional that they can ask those questions. 
And then once you get those questions out there, then we can really start doing the work because no one can, you know, do anything when we don't know what's going on. So I would say having open conversations and not being afraid to, you know, you're not planting seeds. If anything, you are really stepping in and watering and nurturing that person in the best way possible. Hmm. And as one of those uh, healthcare professionals, um, one who particularly understands these issues and these situations, um, give us a little bit of information about um, once you've had that conversation or broached that topic and you said, you know what, I think you might be wrestling with something. I think you might be having suicide ideations, et cetera. Um, what are some of the steps that you can follow through um, to make sure that this person's getting help and that you're supporting them in that journey? Uh, what are some of the things folks can do? Yeah, so I think it really starts with primarily talking open and honestly. You know, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Um, and when I say hard questions, I mean openly. Like, have you have you thought about killing yourself? Using those words. And obviously you can tailor it to your friendship or your relationship, obviously. Mm. And also, you know, taking the steps, like if you get to a point where the answer is yes, and there's a lot more conversation and there's a plan, um, not being afraid to call 911. Um, there's also the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, um, which I can definitely throw out there. Um, it's 1-800-273-TALK. Again, it's 1-800-273-TALK. Um, there's also, um, if you go to uh, the Instagram page, um, at Crisis Text Line, um, it's a free 24-7 um, mental health support that is right at your fingertips. You could actually also, NAMI is a great organization. You could text 741-741. Um, if you text um, NAMI to 741-741, um, there will be help. And so those are, those are kind of like, okay, on the fly. Um, if, at, if you have a phone with you, here's something you can do. But also, too, um, removing any guns, um, weapons, pills, um, if you can, removing those things from where the person is. Also, too, um, reaching out to a therapist. You know, there are crisis lines. Um, you can express support, express concern, um, really be there you know, physically being there for the person. Um, one thing I definitely want to say to people, because a lot of times when you hear something like that, and, and especially if you are the receiver of someone saying that they want to harm themselves, you, especially if you love them, you know, you might get angry, you might get upset, and you might want to argue and belabor the point, like, well, what do you mean? Why would you do that? That's so stupid. You know, life is worth living, and you can get riled up. But one of the, the bigger things is to not argue, um, really listen, be there and show support. Okay. What can I do? Because I care, even though it feels like no one cares. I care. I love you. Even if it feels like there's no way out, I'm with you. I'm standing with you. I'm here with you. Um, and being patient. And of course, if all else fails, um, you know, at the end of the day, regardless of these phone numbers, regardless of all of these things, if that's not coming to mind quickly, Call 911. That is a bigger thing to do in case of in a, a direct emergency. Call 911 and they will be able to direct you into whatever um, resource or immediate resources at your hand, wherever you know you might be. Absolutely. And shout out to Mrs. Jizzy and 
Dr. Ash Oliver's sister saying, thank you for sharing this. Suicide is unfortunately a taboo topic of discussion in our community. Absolutely. And I guess one of the things that I definitely want to be collective, collectively a part of going forward is trying to, you know, remove that, that stigma as you would call it and help, you know, I guess try to help people and create an environment for them to feel comfortable enough to unpack that. Yeah. And I really think, you know, one of the things, because I think we're talking about um, somewhat of an extreme lens, like not every single person gets to the point where they have um, a plan and means and access and all of that. But you could start just with your homeboys or your homegirls and just talk about, listen, I'm stressed out about X, Y, and Z, the people that you go to confide to. You know, a lot of times, sometimes we'll just stop there when we talk about it, where we talk about being stressed or we talk about an issue. We don't often go much deeper than that. And I would, you know, really challenge folks to go a little bit deeper. Like, all right, where is that stress taking you? Like, are you having thoughts of harming yourself? Are you really having thoughts of taking your life? Are you considering different things? Do you, re do you feel this on a regular basis? Are you feeling almost like an out-of-body experience where you literally can't get out of bed? It's hard to function on the day-to-day. You're having trouble just listening to, to folks without crying regularly, like really going into the depth of all of those nuances. Um, we need to normalize in our everyday conversations with our friends, with our family, people that we confide in. Um, these should be normal topic, topics because we all experience them. There's a reason why we have positive and negative emotions. Um, so, so, and some of them are healthy negative emotions. It's appropriate, obviously, if, if you lose or um, the life of a loved one, it's appropriate for you to feel sad. It is appropriate for you to grieve that, you know, but then we get to a lot more extremes with it, right? Where if something happens, we go to anger, extreme anxiety, extreme depression, and that's when it can become a problem. And so we just need to be mindful and continue to have the open conversations. Yeah, so something that you just hit on, and I, I wonder if you can elaborate a little bit more so, because when you think about the uh, grieving the loss of a loved one, I, I can imagine there's probably times where folks might not see any of the warning signs, or maybe they're just not paying attention to them to the point where they say, you know what, they're good, not even worried about it, and then this person completes the act of suicide. There might be times when folks actually do see all the warning signs, try to get that person help, and still this person completes the act of suicide. When you're thinking about uh, folks who are grieving the loss of a loved one and guilt that might come with it, or, you know, a lot of pain and suffering that they might place on themselves even more so to a certain extent that it becomes very over overbearing and overwhelming. What might be some advice you can give a person to, to sort through those feelings and emotions um, and process that grieving, but also that guilt that they might feel? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one thing too, is that, you know, even as the friend, even as the loved one, even for myself as the mental health professional, you know, I still will wrestle with there, there might be someone makes a decision to do something. Even if we've had conversations, we've had conversations where I thought it was completely leaning in a different direction. And then something happens like this, knowing number one, that that is not your fault, that you are not to blame, that that is that person's choice. And whether you agreed with the choice, disagree with the choice, it's a choice that they made based off of the very, very, very extremely difficult situation and pretenses that they were under. Um, and also too, there's a lot to consider. You know, it's not one conversation may not um, 
trigger something that says, okay, I'm going to shift completely in this direction because I can guarantee you there was more than just one thought that played into it. There was probably a hundred and one, a thousand and one thoughts that led up to um, that decision specifically. And also too, just keeping in mind, you know, risk factors. Um, I touched on some of the warning signs, but there are risk factors too. Um, about 46% of people who die by suicide have or had a known mental illness um, or a known mental health condition. Um, a lot of people have a family history of suicide. That's something to consider. Substance use, that is something to consider as well. Intoxication, um, access of firearms, that is one thing to consider as well. Um, chronic medical illnesses that really kind of plague people's lives on a daily basis. Um, a history of trauma or abuse or a significant kind of traumatic event happening, um, prolonged stress, a recent tragedy or loss, all of these things are kind of risk factors that will heighten or exacerbate what might already be sad or unhealthy negative emotions that people are already experiencing. Um, and so it would be unfair to say one person um, can automatically you know, come with the perfect words or the perfect whatever and change that. However, I think that obviously it's most important that we try, right? And the way that we try is through these preventable measures. We try from these conversations. We try from you know, reaching out to folks. We try by having open and honest conversations that some might accept and some might reject. And those are things that are outside of our control. But I want to, you know, for people to know that that is not, that is someone else's decision. And that's not something that we can necessarily control, even though it's incredibly hurtful and it can feel really sad, especially when you yourself are experiencing it on the other side. Absolutely. And I definitely can, can see that. And as you said, the numbers are staggering. And if we're actually being honest, when we see what is being accepted as normal in the world, I can't say that I'm surprised that people feel this way. So I'm, I'm completely empathetic to that concept. And I feel like to your earlier point, Dr. Ashley Oliver, I think that stigma comes from ignorance, for lack of better words, and more specifically, not wanting to be a trigger, right? So mm -hmm. are there ways that, or let's say, are there actual triggers to suicide so people can stay away from those because i feel like that will uh, alleviate some of the stigma towards that if they know okay if i as long as i don't do x y and z and i and i do make the effort to try and help then we're in a, a better let's say st statistical situation mm -hmm. yeah i think that you know when with regard to triggers or even thoughts of suicide really it's so individual and that's the struggle right like that's the hard part of it is that, you know, one thing that might impact me in one way might not impact Josh in another way, might not impact Mix in a different way. And so it's, it's people have to define what those triggers are for them, right? In terms of what they can do in times of need or what they can do in times of distress. And I think part of that, um, if, if you are the person who is having these thoughts, is understanding that and understanding why you're triggered and how you're triggered and really working through that, um, hopefully with, you know, a therapist and in, you know, therapy. And also too, for the friend or who, for the person, for the loved one who is maybe has this gut feeling, so to speak, that maybe something's not right, or maybe feels like 
this person, every time they, you know, go into work, they are literally coming back depleted and, and really distressed. Or when they're in certain situations, in different relationships that are abusive or just very toxic and unhealthy, this person is in distress constantly, then you can, you know, definitely pay attention to those triggers for that person and, and say like, hey, you know what? I'm noticing X, Y, and Z. I'm noticing that when, when this happens, you are under distress. Like you are completely in a state of distress and it's not healthy for you. It's leaving you looking, you know, whatever ways and really being able to, again, have those open and honest conversations to really identify that and be willing to at least provide some insight to hopefully provide change. Awesome. And, and you know, so like I said, you know, I've, I've, I've been in schools my whole career and I've, I've listened to the music that young folks listen to. I've, I've, I've known of the movies and TV shows that they watch. In fact, when I was at a previous um, institution, when 13 Reasons Why came out, um, the school psychologist sent out an email home to families um, trying to help them process that, talk through it, et cetera. Um, has it been your experience or can you speak to, um, I don't know, about maybe the increase in folks who attempt um, and whether or not that comes from the messages they consume, maybe even the glorification of suicide um, or celebration of suicide, or is it a mixture of, you know, what people consume, but also the fact that they're going through much more now. Uh, what, what might be your take on, on that situation? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the stats show that since 2001, there's been a 31% increase in um, the overall suicide rate. So what we know is that the rate is increasing. Um, and what's a little bit harder to tailor is exactly why, right? Um, and of course, we don't have you know, the exact reasons all of the time for why that is. Um, and so I would say that, yeah, part of it probably is the fact that times are changing. Um, you definitely know there's some correlations with um, increased um, cyberbullying, increased access to people. Um, you literally, with a click of a button, have access to millions of people. Um, and that, I'm sure, has some effect or some impact um, even, you know, you can think about even when you were in elementary school, think about the intense kind of meanness and bullying that happened. Now magnify that with uh, TikTok, Instagram, um, Snapchat, like imagine to what degree um, that is impacting young folks. And what I what I also didn't share was that um, in 2017, suicide. So suicide is the third leading cause of death for people aged about 15 to mid thirties. And it is the second in 2017 specifically, it was found that suicide um, was the second leading cause of death for African-Americans aged 15 to 24. So what it, what that tells you is that young folks, folks that are um, between the ages of about 15 to 30 and I would argue that that's the generation that is the millennials, Gen Z, who have a lot of access to technology, who really live this life of social media and um, real world, so to speak. Um, I, I would be a fool to say that there is no correlation, although there might not be causation just yet or a reasonable causation found in the literature. But we do know that it correlates. And I think that there's a reason why. That definitely makes a lot of sense. And 
I feel like to what you spoke about earlier also correlates as well because not everything impacts everyone the same way. And I think that's very important because especially when you get to things like this, there's never going to be a one size fits all, you know, perspective or approach or diagnosis type of thing. So I guess that kind of, for people who do want to help, I feel like that may to dissuade them from actually attempting to help because they can be like, okay, I feel about something this way, but okay, it would it's not going to be a big deal to me, but is it going to be a big deal to them? I don't know. If this person's an introvert, asking those type of questions could be viewed as an act of war for an introvert. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, how do you really approach it in those case-by-case situations? Yeah, for sure. And this is why I definitely want folks to have high, not IQs, but EQs, so emotional intelligence. It is so important for us to identify emotions. And I think I touched about upon this last time. How many of us, like when people say, how are you? Fine. How are you feeling? Fine. Fine is not an emotion. Like I want people to like really identify if someone is feeling some way, identify emotions a little bit better, be able to talk about it even more. Even if, you know, you are not the most expressive person, but be able to identify that and have that insight for yourself. Absolutely. And we have our first question here from August. What are some ways that people can manage feelings of distress? Awesome. Thank you, August. So some ways that people can manage feelings of distress. First, I would I would want to know exactly what type of distress that they're under. And for them, how much of an understanding do they have? I would primarily say now is an excellent time to really talk about or talk to going into therapy or seeing a therapist. Um, The great thing about right now, especially during this COVID pandemic, is that everything can be remote right now and there's cost-effective options. Um, So within any budget, whether you have a student budget to, you know, making six plus figures, um, going to see some type of mental health professional. And one thing I do want to talk about with therapy, because I know I promote it a lot, obviously, as a psychologist, but I also want to say that it's not one size fits all. You know, sometimes you might have to shop around a little bit before you find what what brand you like or what person you work well with or, or the goodness of fit, so to speak. Um, but one thing that I think is important is to have someone. Um, and this is important even when you are growing up. Like studies show that one of the main um, protective factors that protect from kids against bullying is just having a friend. It doesn't need to be 10 friends. It just can be one friend. Um, so having one one confidant, one friend, one loved one that you go to, that's important to share. Also, too, another way to manage feelings of distress um, is not just talking about it, but also to, um, which I'm going to get into later on in the episode, is self-care and true self-care. Not just like temporarily escaping um, here and there, but really um, taking care of yourself. I think a lot of times we as Americans, it's like work. Uh, make dinner, sleep, work, make dinner. And, and it's, it's the same kind of routine. And we hardly ever stop, check in, see what we need, especially now. I found that more people are working remotely than they were even working in the office. <laughs> and people are just not stopping. We're just moving from one thing to the next, moving from one thing to the next. And then when we get stressed, we like have a drink at the end of the night. And it's like, okay, well, but did we also just check in with ourselves of how we're doing, how we're managing? And then little do we realize, okay, the one drink at the end of the night is like really four. 
um, in the next month. And then maybe that fourth one becomes the fifth one at the end of the next month. Um, and so I think really paying attention to yourself, being more aware of your body, being more aware of your emotions. Is it harder for you to sit on that Zoom meeting and listen to this meeting that didn't need to be a meeting, could have been an email. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to say that it's important to take care of yourself and to be able to talk to someone, um, be able to have people in your corner and be able to practice um, effective and good, healthy self-care. And to that point, I guess, and I, I know that is not a one-size-fits-all approach, but let's just say you get in conversation and the subject is broached. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there's no canned responses, but what might be some best practices or best responses when someone shares this to you? You can say, you know what? Um, I'll help you with that. Like, what are some things you can say that might not turn that person off or scare them away from even engaging further? With regard to... With regard to... No, with, I'm sorry, with regard to um, folks who might have suicide ideation um, and folks who might, you know, confide in you um, because they think that you're just going to be a listening ear and not going to push it further. Um, like, how do you how do you uh, engage them to make sure that you're doing right by them, you know, not betraying their trust, um, right. but also realizing that it's not a one size fits all approach and there's no canned response? Absolutely. So. I would say definitely don't argue, don't threaten, don't raise your voice, um, don't debate whether suicide is right or wrong. Um, and I would really say to be patient, listen, but also don't be afraid to be direct. And if there is a need to challenge, I wouldn't challenge, I would, if anything, provide compassion and comfort. Because at the end of the day, when someone decides in their mind that they're going to actually talk to you, about their suicidal thought. That is step one to guess what? I'm willing to get help. I just don't know what that is. I just don't know what that looks like. And so that in and of itself could be, you know, encouraging just for you alone. And even if they don't have the words to, to say to you, hey, I really want help. I don't want to do this, even though they're probably saying the opposite to you, take that um, as kind of that white flag of like, all right, you know what? Like, I really do need this help. And if that's the case, let's work through it together. I think the biggest thing is, is knowing that there are other options. And even though that might not be very clean cut, like it's not like, okay, you're going to get a million dollars. You're going to, you know, have a brand new job. You're going to have a brand new car. You're going to have all the time in the world. We're not necessarily fixing those practical steps. But one thing you can do is just be there. I think people grossly underestimate, um, the power of someone just being there, just sitting there, just crying together, laughing together, um, holding somebody's hand, just simply being there and having the conversation. That goes a long way. And also, too, um, sharing your own experience. You know, I think we all can go back in the archives and be like, you know what? I went through hell <laughs> during this time. I went through this, that, and the third. And it's not to chastise them for what they're, you know, leaning towards or deciding that they want to do, but it's really almost a testament to, you know what? This was a time where I felt broken. I was broken. And, you know, this was something that helped me. And, you know, I just want to do the same for you. I want to be there because I love you and I'm concerned and I care about you. And then, of course, obviously following up, taking those next steps, um, because I don't think that it's the weight of that 
to just be on someone who's not trained. Like that's literally why people go to school for many years to do this work. So allow them to do it. Absolutely. And I think that's so pivotal being there for people, because as you articulated, Dr. Ashley Oliver, if you don't know, if you're going to this for the first time and mm-hmm. which most people are right, you yeah. don't really know what to ask for. So it's kind of like we, we take a lot of knowledge and wisdom for granted because, oh, it's a uh, it's common knowledge. You should just know how to do X, Y and Z when if it's really not, because if you're not taught that, you know, explicitly, then how are you supposed to know? So I always get. I always get, you know, kind of frustrated with some with sometimes with the older generation and be like, oh, you should know X, Y and Z just because. But then again, you've been on Earth longer than me, with all due respect. And you also know that you already know that from your experience. But if no one directly taught me that, how am I actually supposed to know or even know to look for that? So I feel like the aspect of being there is amazing. That's that's monumental. And that's literally half the battle to get someone to open up enough for that professional guidance to come in absolutely for sure and then as we segue because that was a great segue awesome question by august thank you into self-care and self-love so dr ashley oliver could you articulate for our audience the importance of self-care and self-love please Absolutely. So I think, you know, as we know in our generation, um, you know, IG official hashtag self-care, self-love, everybody loves it, right? We all love the idea of self-care, you know, and we think a lot about going to the spa, sipping on champagne, taking a bubble bath, um, smoking a cigar, I don't know, whatever whatever in your mind, um, self-care often will look like sunsets and beaches, right? Like that's what most people's looks like. Um, and self-care can be so personal and it's so individual. Um, but I want people to know that self-care isn't just, you know, going and sitting on a beach. Don't get me wrong. That's lovely. And I would love that too. But I think, um, the biggest thing about self-care is really knowing the difference between an escape, which is really based in fear and kind of rooted in, you know, temporarily getting away and avoiding something and self-care, which is based in compassion and love for yourself. Like, you know what? I need this based on X, Y, or Z, and I'll expound a little bit more. Um, so really those, those escapes. So the, the candles, the, um, the beach getaways, the like, you know what? I just need a night off. I'm going to binge watch Netflix, which are great. Um, but guess what? Guess what happens the minute you turn off the TV? Guess what happens the minute you go back home? you're faced with the same stuff. You're faced with the same stressful situation, the same thing that probably got you to want to do the self-care act in the first place, but you did the temporary escape. So now you got to deal with it all over again. And so what do you do? Do you binge watch another show? Do you down another bottle of wine? Like, like what, what do you do? Right. And so this is where I want people to really differentiate. What is, what's the difference between the two? And that right there is the difference. So are you doing things when, when we talk about self-care, are you doing things rooted in compassion, understanding, acceptance, and really taking care of yourself? And sometimes that means saying, no, I have too much on my plate. You know, I cannot take on a new task. Sometimes that means, you know what, I'll get back to you in a week as opposed to tomorrow. Sometimes that means setting boundaries. Sometimes we have needy folks in our lives, needy loved ones, needy partners, and we're like, listen, I love you dearly, however, I really think what might be helpful for me in this situation, I just think I need 
a moment of time to relax, a moment of time to, you know, just step away and do my own thing, collect myself, get myself together. That way I can be a better version of myself for you. Um, and so creating healthy boundaries, you know, that, that might look different for everybody. Um, knowing what you need, again, that higher EQ, that emotional intelligence of knowing what you need, um, identifying your own emotions, knowing how you feel. Um, also too, like asking yourself, will this act of self-care that I'm planning, will it replenish you? Will it refill you emotionally, um, spiritually as well? And if the answer to that is no, then I'd probably ask you to reconsider, to check again, to say, okay, let me think about something that actually does replenish my cup. Because if there isn't replenishment happening, then I would question if that's the escape or is that actually self-care? Well, that's a huge piece right there. And I wonder if you can even shed more light on that, because there are times when folks might be like, I feel good. I just had a gallon of whatever. Yeah. And that's not healthy. So how, how how do you really drill down and distinguish the difference between what feels pleasurable versus what's really replenishing you? Absolutely. That's a, a great point, right? So if you physically, I think when it comes to satisfaction, right, um, it's easy to feel satisfied. You know, we can have, you know, yesterday, since it's fall, fall has started, I was on this apple cider donut and like pumpkin spice <laughs> chick. <laughs> so I was like, yo, over the weekend, I was like, let's go get, let's go find like apple cider um, or pumpkin spice donuts. And like, I was on this whole kick because I was like, I just want to have one, you know? And of course that left me feeling satisfied. Don't get me wrong. Um, it was amazing. But at the same time too, um, when we talk about replenishment, I don't physically mean physically feeling full, right? Like your stomach feeling full. Um, although that's great, you know, it's better than being on an empty stomach. Um, what I'm talking about when I say replenishment is replenishment for your soul. You know, one thing that I think we need to be very attuned to is there are a lot of temporary satisfying moments in time or temporarily satisfying things that actually do the opposite of replenishing our soul. It actually depletes and being aware of that. And so this is where the mind, body, and soul really comes together to be like, okay, how in tune are you with yourself? And that's not to say you can't have ice cream. You know what I mean? Like sometimes eating ice cream or my preference would be popcorn and wine and watching a movie, like that, that's something that I love and that's something that I enjoy. Um, but I also know that when I'm talking about replenishing my soul, it's because I know that I'm taking time for me. I'm giving back to me. I'm prioritizing myself because I've been prioritizing everyone else for the past 12 hours. And so for me, I'm going to prioritize myself and give myself some release. And also knowing what I'm saying back to myself in those moments too. This is where that self-talk comes in, right? So if I'm eating this tub of ice cream and watching whatever I'm watching on TV and I'm telling myself, oh my gosh, you're so fat, you're disgusting, you're this, that, and the third, like, why would you sit there and do that? You know, you're so stupid. It doesn't make any sense that you're going right back into the same situation. Oh my gosh. And now all of this negativity is flooding your mind, your body, your spirit and everything. And guess what? You're going to leave that situation feeling depleted. Um, but if I walk into it and I'm like, you know what? I'm taking this time for me. You know, I'm prioritizing myself. I'm feeling good. And I'm actually, you know, taking the time to praise myself for the fact that, you know what? These past 10 hours wasn't the most productive. That's all right. But you know what? I survived the day. I got through it and I'm better for it. And guess what? I'm going to do it again tomorrow and it'll be better. And I'll be better because I'll feel 
satiated and I'll feel spiritually and mentally satisfied rather than, you know, this temporary kind of physical fulfillment that I've been seeking or doing, so to speak. Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Ashley Oliver, because that is huge, right? So self-sabotaging behavior, right? Those temporary pleasures that are excessive, right? And on the cusp of gluttony and is a form of self-medicating through vices and guilty pleasures. And as you articulated, it has a short-term pleasure, yes. but long-term is going to take energy away from you in that longer term. And longer term and let's say endowment thinking, like Sangu Deli said, you want that you want that long term energy to be compounding, but you're taking that compounding effect away by indulging in it in real time. So I think that is massive because me personally, I've always struggled with stress eating. Anytime I'm stressed, I want to snack on literally everything, anything that can be delivered to me from Grubhub or Uber Eats or anything that could be acquired at the local uh, delicatessen, let's say. But I, I do think what you you start off with with escapism is massive, right? So yeah. Mikhail and I talked about this on a previous episode when it came to a professional sports when we had Mr. Aaron United on talking mm -hmm. about how a lot of people, especially in Western society, view sports as escapism, right? Mm -hmm. So they're using this as a platform to indulge in their escapism and they're getting rid of all of their negative emotions as opposed to dealing with them. So this is why you have, you know, uh, rude things being said at at games and sporting events, a lot of racism being, you know, being expressed at sporting events is because they're indulging in escapism and not actually dealing with their actual issues. Exactly. And I definitely agree. It's almost like, so I'm going to, I'm going to use an analogy of a car because I like cars. <laughs> I'm a car liking type of, type of woman. So anyways, um, it's almost like if you have, if you have a car, right. And let's say you drive over a nail. And there is a couple options of how you can fix this, right? So you can temporarily get that, you know, that let's say it's a, a little hole, you can get it filled. And guess what? You can be driving around town um, and you'll be okay. However, guess what? Over time, that tire will flatten and you will have to get it filled again. You will have to keep on with the routine maintenance. However, eventually you're going to have to change the tire, right? And the reality is, too, it is much cheaper to just get the hole filled rather than to change the tire. And I'm not liking, liking, likening, um, you know, necessarily the money aspect of things that self-care has to be something that's exorbitant and, you know, extravagant and luxurious. However, it might take more time. It might not always feel good all the time. And I think that's another thing, too, is that True self-care doesn't always feel satiating to our bodies. doesn't always feel satisfying. I don't know too many people who love to tell people no. You know what I mean? Some of us do, but then there's most people who don't. It feels uncomfortable. It feels uncomfortable to set boundaries with people. It feels uncomfortable to say, I need time. I need space. I need a minute. Um, it feels uncomfortable to say, I think what would be best for me is this. Um, and so that's what I mean by changing the whole tire. You know, don't substitute with a, okay, and then you feel resentment or you feel, you know, some type of um, negative feeling or you feel distressed. Stop trying to fill the little hole. Change the whole tire. You will be, you know, satisfied and more satisfied and more replenished over time. And you'll be happy that you did it because then you won't have to keep going back and back to the tire man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. And we have a wonderful comment from Alexander Almanza. 
It says food, the most abused antidepressant. Absolutely. Especially when you see what's in the ingredients of these, these types of different foods, different chemicals and sugars and whatnot, which is probably more addicted than things like uh, narcotics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of us use food because, again, that little quick fix. It's cheap. It's easy. It's fast. And also, too, that's probably one of the first comforts that we're introduced to because mm -hmm. um, we typically need food to survive. And so that's one of the things that, you know, being mindful of, you know, your habits, you know, what, what do you run to when you are stressed? Um, what does that look like? And do you find yourself constantly having to run to it? Because guess what? It only lasts like about five to 10 minutes and then you're stressed out again. Um, recognize those markers and say, okay, maybe that might be something that I need to revisit. Maybe that's something that I need to change. Maybe that's something that I need to look a little deeper into to say, all right, I need to, to work on this and practice better self-care for myself. Hmm. Yeah, so I'd imagine that part of practicing self-care is positive self-talk. You know, sometimes you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, dear Mr. Toilet, I'm the, you know <laughs> what I mean? So my question would be is, what are some best practices or what are some approaches to make sure that we're practicing that positive self-talk to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves that way too? Absolutely. So... I absolutely think that self-talk goes hand in hand with self-care. Um, and I think that when we talk about self-talk and positive self-talk or rational self-talk, what does that look like? Um, I think that it's acceptance focused. And I also think that it is positive and rational. And what do I mean by that? I mean that um, when you are getting up in the morning, um, I think that whether you are feeling stressed or whether you are feeling absolutely fantastic, Something that is a good practice is really having a gratitude list, sharing what things you are grateful for in life today, coming up with three things that you can remind yourself that you're grateful for. I'm grateful for getting up this morning. I'm grateful for my friends, my life, my spouse, my job. I'm grateful for um, just being a, a really good person. I'm grateful for my sense of style. I'm grateful for whatever it is. Um, reminding yourself of those things. And also, too, um, really reminding yourself of the good qualities that you have. You know, oftentimes we critique ourselves so much, and that's almost a common practice. It's like, well, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not here yet, I don't do this pretty well, I don't have that. And oftentimes, like, okay, well, how, how often do you actually compliment yourself? Like, ever, if ever, <laughs> do we actually say, like, you know what, like, I'm really great at this or, yo, I'm bad at this, like in bad in the good sense, obviously. And so like, I'm, I'm good at this or I have this skill or there's some, you know, favor on my life that has led me to this point. And it's not because you don't have the skill set. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, if you're doing what you're doing, you got to be good at something. And so figuring out what is that and complimenting yourself about it. And also, too, another thing is it's one thing to compliment. It's another thing to accept the compliment. And so knowing to accept it, understanding that, hey, I am. You know what? I'm great at what I do. I am an excellent friend. I'm a great partner. I'm a great listener. I am great at negotiating deals, whatever the case may be. And also saying to, to yourself, well, yeah, you're right. You're right. I absolutely am. And reminding yourself of that. Absolutely. And that's definitely important because oftentimes in our society, unfortunately, people will frown upon doing that specifically like, oh, you're, you're just being arrogant. 
oh, you're patting yourself on your own back. But sometimes that is actually needed for you to do what you do. And I kind of equate it to, you know, growing up as an athlete, a lot of times athletes will be speaking to themselves on the performance uh, field or pitch or court or whatever. And they'll be like, if they do something that's not in their nature, be like, oh, that was so stupid. But it's it's very focused on what you're doing in that real time, as in you already know that you can do better. Like you can you you can do better. So it's not necessarily a long term a negative outlook. It's being yeah. like hyper specific in that moment, knowing that you can do better because you are that good. Absolutely. And also too, you know, there's it's interesting because people again with even with the athlete analogy, you know, we are constantly commenting on the really few and far between times people do wrong. It's, it, that's normal. That's a, a critical thing to do, right? But we're not always like, oh, they completed the pass. Unless the pass is fantastic, they caught it at the you know whim or on the fly, then all of a sudden it's recognized and it's become something that's like magnetized. And so noticing and complimenting the things that are small, you know, the fact that you completed the pass, you completed the throw, you didn't get, to, I'm using football as an analogy, but I'm saying it, it doesn't have to be with sports. It could be in anything in life. Like, are we complimenting ourselves like, yo, I got up and I got on, I got to work on time. I did this. I did that. I, I managed to get laundry done, go to the grocery store, cook and clean <laughs> this weekend. You know what I mean? And we don't, we don't say, you know, kudos to you for that. Pat yourself on the back for that. But yet we will literally crucify ourselves if we didn't do one of those things. If we didn't do or call someone that we're intending to call. But you also hit up three other people. But I didn't hear you say, good job for that. So just being mindful of the messages that you replay in your head and the messages that you're putting out to yourself. Absolutely. And I actually saw a meme that reminded me of you. So I wanted to share that with everyone here. Let me get that up for everyone. Excuse me. All right, there we go. So it says... Commit to lifting yourself up every time you get the urge to put yourself down. And it might sound so simple, right? But it is that powerful if you're doing it on a consistent basis. And then it, that will have a compounding effect into perpetuity, which is exactly what self-care and self-love is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And I love this because all it's asking for is the commitment. You know, a lot of times it'll be like, you know what? I don't feel like complimenting myself or if I'm telling myself something, I'm just saying it because, you know, Ashley told me to say it or so-and-so <laughs> told me to do it. You know what I mean? And the reality is that I want people to begin to commit to it because over time you will start to believe it. And so even if you don't believe it today, tomorrow you might. And if you don't, then the next day you might. And if you don't, then maybe the next day. So it's, it really is about that commitment what we're committing ourselves to. You know, a lot of times when um, people start to eat more healthy, right? They cut carbs. Um, I can guarantee you the sugary drink tastes better <laughs> than the non-sugary drink. But guess what? If you start to have the non-sugary drink after 10 plus days, guess what? The sugary drink is gonna start to taste a little funny to you now, you know, because your taste buds have changed. Now you're telling yourself things that are good for you. And the bad self-talk or the talk that is very negative, it will start to become less and less and less over time. And you will start to believe that because you're taking healthier um, turns in your life and you're committing yourself to healthier things. 
Yeah, and I know some folks, I go put nobody on blast, but I know some folks who, you know, think that self-care is selfish. Mm. Um, some folks who think that self-care is something they don't deserve, um, is, is something that they shouldn't do in order to treat themselves. Yeah. What might you say to that person who um, really, really says, you know what? I mean, I have so many other things I need to worry about. I haven't done this, so I can't take care of myself. You know, I haven't like, what would you say in real time to that person? Because I know sometimes, just like when we were talking about the whole suicide prevention stuff, um, there are times in those conversations where you're trying to get someone to gain greater clarity in the moment. And you saying something to them that might be in their best interest might not be received because you're maybe not approaching it the right way. How can you advocate for someone else's self-care? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So first, I'll start by saying self-care is not selfish, mm. period. <laughs> I'll, I'll repeat it. Self-care is not selfish. And one thing... Um, I'll use this example specifically because I've heard this a lot, especially from mothers um, or single mothers. Um, they will feel like either they don't have time because they just have so much to do. And the reality is they do. That is absolutely legitimate. Um, that they are unable to prioritize self-care. Um, or they feel guilty if they do because it means that you're taking away from time with your child, time with your family. Um, you could have uh, prepare dinner. You didn't have to buy pizza. Like, like there's so much that people are like, but I could have taken that hour or 30 minutes to do something else. And, you know, my, my response to that will be that you taking care of yourself and being the best version of yourself in whatever relationship or for yourself that is, that is literally having the most ideal and healthy environment for your children or for the people around you. Um, there's a, a reason why on flights they tell you to put your mask on before your children. And the reason being is because you cannot pour from an empty cup. You cannot help someone when you yourself are depleted. And even if you're trying, it's going to feel like you're literally trying to pour from something that's empty. You're going to feel the effects of it. And you're going to wonder why. Okay, like, why am I having these consistent arguments all the time with my kids, with my partner, with with my friends, like, why is this happening? And it's probably because I would, I would argue, take the time, try it, take the time to prioritize yourself and see, see the difference. Notice how you feel differently. Notice how people react to you differently and notice the response. Um, because I guarantee you, if you start to really invest in yourself, you are investing in your kids. You are investing in your partners. You are investing in your loved ones. You're investing in everyone around you. Because when you present the best version of yourself, you're creating the best environment for everybody else. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And just to mention some of these wonderful comments, Alex once said, very good advice, complimenting self on what we have achieved versus what we have yet to accomplish. That is definitely important. And shout out to Mama Bear Yves Rose, right? Sakpa said, <laughs> it's good to be grateful to have a positive mindset, thousand percent, and sometimes encourage yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm speaking from the standpoint of like having somebody else, but there is a lot of us out here, especially during COVID, who are living alone, who are physically alone in different spaces. And it is imperative to encourage yourself to commit to that positive self-talk for yourself. Um, and especially when you're dealing with loss, 
when you're dealing with heartache, when you're dealing with frustrating people, um, different places, it is so important to know and fill yourself. And, and that's that replenishment I'm talking about. You know, how, like what parts of your day are you filling with life-giving things, life-giving conversations, life-giving um, just stories and, and things that will actually put you in a better space, you know, not just have the temporary escapes. And don't get me wrong, temporary escapes have their, you know, it has their place. Like I think that, you know, you can absolutely do it. Um, however, I wouldn't replace that for self-care. And so one part about self-care is really focusing on the self, right? It's encouraging yourself and it's doing the work for yourself. And so I absolutely think that that's imperative for everybody, especially now. Absolutely. And I think it's really going to be imperative for our next next topic, which I actually had the research because I'd actually never heard of it. So thank you for that, because you've actually taught me something, which is imposter syndrome. So I'm going to put the definition and the description for everyone. And Dr. Ashley Oliver, could you give your own thoughts about imposter syndrome and why it is worth mentioning, which it definitely is? Absolutely. So imposter syndrome um was actually coined by psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imes in 1978. Um, and it was, they described it as um, an internal experience of intellectual phoniness mm. in people who believe that they are not intelligent, that they're not capable um, or creative despite evidence of high achievement. And so for people of color, imposter syndrome isn't just in you know this imaginary voice in our heads we receive messages all the time where society says you know you quote unquote shouldn't be in this space you shouldn't be in this role um you don't belong so to speak um and you're constantly kind of telling yourself and reminding yourself or or doing that self-talk of i'm not good enough um and and somehow i'm an imposter in this space and somebody's going to figure me out in one way or another, like I'm, I'm going to get figured out. Um, it's the feeling that you really don't belong. And a lot of us, especially um, people of color, especially black people. Um, and I'll take it even further, black women in particular, in a lot of spaces um, can feel this way. And it's important that we wrestle with that and deal with that accordingly. Yeah. Um, you know what? So the work that I usually do, um, I'm an educator, but my job is specifically um, pertains to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I often talk about privilege, power, oppression, et cetera, all those things, you know, the fun topics. Um, and, you know, one of the things I often say is it, it must be great to walk into a room and feel like you own it. Mm. It must be great to walk into a room and feel like you're untouchable. It must be great to walk into a room and see your aesthetic reflected, celebrated, and appreciated all the time. So for those folks who are people of color who might be the only, who might be othered, who might be um, overworked and undervalued, um, and I see this a lot of times in the spaces that I work in, particularly predominantly white institutions, there are some folks who have imposter syndrome for a number of different reasons. Um, and it, and it's often funny because sometimes we think that we're going to be considered or found out to be a fraud, um, but the fraudulent activity is really coming from other places, mm. um, from other people. Um, and I think it's important for us to realize that, but I think it reminds me of a quote by Marion, uh, Marion Williamson. 
And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a popular quote where she talks about um, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate, but that we're powerful beyond measure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just really thinking about that. But it's often so difficult to get there because of all the, we were just talking about self-talk, mm-hmm. um, all the negative messages that we, we get. Um, how, how can we work through that? All the negative messages we get, all the things we consume on a daily, maybe even the positive self-talk that we do not give ourselves because maybe we even give ourselves negative self-talk um, as well as the self-care that we don't really take care of ourselves. And then also realizing that sometimes we have to exist in certain spaces where we have to always teeter between safety and self-care. Am I going to check this person or am I going to practice self-care? Yeah. Am I going to check this person and then say, you know what, maybe my livelihood might be jeopardized because this is a power dynamic there or they're my employer. Um, like how, how do we deal with these things where we're trying to like not be a fraud, but also trying to take care of ourselves and not have to like pop off all the time to certain people to let them understand that we, we do belong where we are. That is a great question. And I would love to give like this very clean cut answer. Right. Um, but it's not clean. It's, it's a constant song and dance. It is a constant dance that you are doing, um, to manage that. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, one of the one of the biggest takeaways that I want people to know is that you are in that room because you are supposed to be in that room, period. And so when you have that thought of I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be here. Um, they must know that um, I don't belong. You know, I need for folks to challenge that. Um, and I'm not talking about challenge that externally. I'm talking about challenging that internally. So having, when those intrusive negative thoughts come up, really challenging that. Who said that you're not supposed to be here? Someone who shouldn't even be here themselves? Mm. Um, society? People who um, don't even hold the credentials that you have? Someone who's not even as gifted as you are? Um, so really challenging those intrusive thoughts to say, who said I should not be here? As a matter of fact, I'm here because I'm supposed to be. And even though I don't always feel comfortable in this space, I have a purpose and a reason for being here and ending it there. So really challenging um, those intrusive thoughts, I would say, is step one of that you know dance that you have. And then the other part is actually being wise, you know, using wisdom in that space. You know, I would love to be like, we can't consider um, oppression, racism, um, sexism. We, we don't, you know, consider those things. You have to consider those things with regard to where you are, right? And so if, if something does happen that where you are othered, where there is, you are marginalized in some way, that there is a statement that is made against you, you do have to be wise in how you navigate that and absolutely advocate for yourself, you know? So, the answer, even though you might want to, um, you know, do something to get yourself out of character. Actually, you know, when they go low, we go high, as my forever first lady would say, really taking that step to, to really say, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do and use the same exact tools um, from the people who were here before me to do what I need to do to get even further ahead. Because this is bigger than just me being the only person to ever do this in my space. This is about all of the young folks out there who are watching, learning, and taking in everything. You know, 
I always think to myself a lot, um, being that I am one person of about three to four percent of psychologists of color or black psychologists. Um, there's even more or even less um, black psychologists who are men. Um, so that four percent that I'm a part of, I'm really doing this not just because I love the work, but also because I want every single girl, every single boy um, who looks up and sees that someone like me can do this, you can too. It is possible, um, even in my role, and that's for all roles. And so I think that, you know, imposter syndrome can play out a number of different ways, but I absolutely think it's imperative for us to first challenge those intrusive thoughts that are not factual, um, that are rooted in a lot of bigotry, hatred, and racism, to really challenge them and also to act wisely in terms of what we do in those spaces. And then also big up yourself and give yourself props to know that you are supposed to be there. Absolutely. That's so important. And a wonderful comment from Alexander Almanza. I needed this today, as I'm sure we all did. Had those intrusive thoughts today. I just challenged those thoughts. They're gone now. Thanks, Doc. Instant cure. So that's all you got to do is just contact Dr. Ashley Oliver. Love you, Alex. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's it's very important because I honestly feel this from my own anecdotal experience on Earth. Just observing with a marketing advertising mindset, to me, it's very obvious that our society is designed to make most people feel this way, regardless of their persuasion, but specifically people in our community. Right. And yeah. it's consistently questioning credentials. That's one method. Right. Yeah. So even even people of our persuasion, someone like a Tyler Perry or Denzel, anyone who is successful, yeah. it, they're always portrayed differently. So even, especially athletes, right? So if an athlete is, you know, he gets drafted and then all of a sudden they become wealthy and then they want to take care of their family, they buy their mother a house yeah. and in the media it'll be portrayed, oh, athlete XYZ, whatever, uh, spends a lavish amount on a house for their mom, right? As opposed to how it's portrayed from someone else of a different persuasion, oh, so-and-so does an amazing thing, often amazing gesture, and gives their mother a home, their mother and father a family home. It's just portrayed differently. So it's kind of like they're trying to egg on this imposter syndrome just to remind us all that we don't belong here, where we both know that's, that's not the case. And I feel like Jackie Robinson kind of illustrated this for us all, because to even be in the conversation, you had to be three times better than their best player in order to even play. So for me, that that's how I'm you viewing this yeah absolutely and it's you know it's crazy the messages that we get you know there's so much spewed hate like i don't even know how she got here she doesn't even have a college degree i don't know how he got here like he's not even that cute i don't know how he got with her because x y and z and we constantly and, and also too you know i'll fault our people too like we sometimes get into that that mindset where we have to challenge you know be, because that's that's what we've seen that's what we've seen done to us so we we constantly get into the judgment and critiquing of why someone shouldn't be in whatever position they have why they shouldn't have the promotion that they have why they shouldn't be granted whatever M mind you they could have worked super hard they could be extremely talented 
they could have, you know, all of the gifts out there. Um, but yet we'll still find something like, well, you know, they're not that amazing. Like they're okay. You know, or like they didn't put in 24 hours during the work week. Like they only put in, you know, 16 and, and we're, they're constantly finding these things. And then what's worse is that we actually start to believe that we start to believe that we are not good enough. We shouldn't be in these spaces. And that couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. I think if there's anything that I want folks to take in, in terms of what I'm saying is that you are where you are for a reason and do not allow anyone to steer you away from that. You know, if you are passionate about your career, you're passionate about whatever it is that you're doing, continue doing it. Because the reality is a lot of times all we see is the success. What we don't see a lot of times are the, are the times where we failed, the doors that closed, <laughs> the times where we struggled behind closed doors. Um, and so it's important for us to remind ourselves why we are in the position that we're in and why we are supposed to be there. Hmm. And I guess this is another side of that, um, which kind of relates to the whole checking your strong friends piece, right? So you have some folks who might very well know exactly why they are where they are. They know they belong and they know that they have all the talent and more to succeed. However, they might be one of few or the only of their, their race, their gender, et cetera, right? Um, how does one find balance or find solace realizing that, you know, sometimes they, they, they might feel a certain way as if they're the savior for their race or their gender, et cetera, um, which might start to eat away at them because if they make a slightest mistake, like miss a typo or somewhere, like, you know, you missed a comma or a period or whatever the case may be, right? Um, how, how can folks understand that it's not that deep? Like it is deep, but it's not that deep. How, how, how does one person find balance in the fact that, you know what, I am not the savior um, this is not a burden that I need to carry, at least not alone. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest um, recommendation I would have for something like that is to surround yourself with a good community, a community outside of the direct community that you're in at, whether it's at work where you're experiencing that or what, wherever you might be experiencing um, those feelings of being an imposter um, or imposter syndrome. Because a lot of times the people that can check in and, and be objective and be like, yo, like you're tripping about our email. Like, didn't you just tell me you did X, Y, and Z like this past week. And like, you also worked overtime and you also were here for this and you picked this up and they'll be able to be a little more objective than you who might be lasered in on this one um, thing that went wrong in your mind. It went wrong and it's detrimental. It's going to cost you your livelihood. It's going to cost you everything. Um, it's important to have those people who can be objective with you. And it's important to surround yourself with them and to share with them. So that way they can give you that insight. So that way, when you are on the job and you realize, oh my gosh, I forgot this comma in this, you know, in this email, you can remind yourself of that later on. And so that is a, is an extreme important piece. And we, and I want people to know most successful people have those, you know, it's, they have their confidants, they have, you know, their one to two people that it's like, this is my person to go to for this. This is my person to go to for that. You know, you can, you can identify in any company, any CEO, they all have them. Um, and so I want people to know that you are not an anomaly for having or needing or feeling like you need others around you. Like we are people who 
are not loners. We are people who are social beings. We're created actually to be with one another. And so utilize that, tap into that, be a part of and engage in a community who's healthy and not prepared to see your downfall, but want to see you succeed and believe in not just um, what you think your potential is, but beyond even that potential. Absolutely. And I think someone who epitomizes that is Mrs. Jizzy speaking. This is truly speaking to my soul. I agree with you, Alex, and I'm sure, you know, sis as well, because Mm -hmm. she's definitely going to be breaking through some barriers. And I'm very excited for that. And August says that's so true. I always I was always thinking they figure out I was a phony at my new job. Then I step back and realize I've been preparing for this forever, which is amazing. Amazing, August. That's that's dope. And I feel like people are not aware of their authority. And I feel like that comes from things like supremacy and oppression. So we're not even aware of our actual ability and or value. So those are how those things infiltrate our own mentality and devalue our own self-worth, which I think is incredibly important. Yeah. And one thing I want to even add to that is that I want people to know too that this is also a practice. Mm. You know, I don't want people to think that just because this one moment where you like, all right, you know what? I got it. Like I, I figured it out. I, I beat that intrusive thought. You know, I'm not an imposter. I should be here. I'm destined to be here. This is my purpose. I'm walking in it. And then on Friday, you know, go back to feeling down or go back to feeling like, oh my gosh, this is exactly why I shouldn't be here. I'm so stupid. I got this wrong. And so the reality is it is a practice. It does not mean it happens one and done and you're all good. It means that you constant, you're committing. It's back to that, that meme of the commitment, right? You are committing to, um, literally when you feel like you are an imposter, committing to speaking against that, committing to challenging that, committing to going to those folks you know will give you an objective perspective that will steer you right back into course or will help you. Um, That means committing to self-care to really help you be the best at your job. That's what it means. It's a practice that you're committing to. It doesn't mean that you always get it right 100% of the time. It means that you're committed to doing and practicing it always. Amen. Absolutely. And as Dr. Ashley Oliver articulated her first time here, right, it's all about the power of positive affirmation. So that leads to that practicing. So it's practicing on a daily basis, whether that be secondly, hourly, how many times you need in order to believe it, because it is the truth. It's not like you're lying to yourself. So right. that, that's just one of those things. This, and it'll have a compounding effect down the line. It may not from a, a limited vantage point, it may not seem that way in the short term. But long term, that will be not only powerful, but you'll actually embody all those things that you're telling yourself, which is the truth. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. And Brother Mix, did you want to say something? I'm just appreciative of all the information that you're giving, particularly for those folks who are probably watching, Um, being able just to hear it. Sometimes we don't even have enough time in a day to sit down and talk about this. Mm-hmm. The fact that we spent so much time sitting down and talking about this um, is important. Um, and I appreciate the practical steps that you give folks. Some, sometimes there's a lot of theory, a lot of theory, but there's no practice. There's a lot of awareness raising, but no actionable items and steps that we can take. So I appreciate all the stuff that you're giving to us and all the folks who are watching and listening. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thank you all because one for the platform, but also two for allowing for us to really dive into and have these discussions. You know, this is the biggest part of, you know, destigmatizing mental health in our community, talking through things. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, you're talking about mental health again. You're talking about, you know, this stuff again. You're talking about it. And it's like, well, yeah, because guess what? You know, your friend, again, is feeling depressed, right? Like you, again, are feeling anxious, right? Like you, again, are plagued by imposter syndrome, right? So, so let's talk about it. Let's have these conversations. And so even though it might feel repetitive, it might feel somewhat redundant, I think that my hope is that this conversation leads to another conversation, which leads to another conversation, which also leads to action items, which leads to change behavior, which leads to changes in how you approach your relationships, which leads to changes in how you deal with your partner. It leads to changes in how you raise your kids. Like this is literally the change that I want to see over time. So it's, it's so much bigger than just this one conversation on this Tuesday evening at this specific time. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because, you know, I was just reading an article earlier today and shout out to all the educators out there, particularly during these times, it's wild crazy out here in the sense mm -hmm. of, you know, I mean, trying to teach them a, a class with a mask on is tough. It is tough in terms of breathing, et cetera, all these things. And I'm thinking about the students who have to sit in classes multiple times, sitting there and not really having an opportunity to really breathe or even participate or feel comfortable, et cetera. Um, but I'm just thinking about, because I was reading an article, they were talking about recharging or refueling for educators of color in particular, because here we are um, you know, entering back into these spaces where we're trying to create safe spaces. And we're also still dealing with the pain and suffering that has happened over the past few months and nothing's really changed. Things continue to happen. You know, we're still waiting to see what happens in the Breonna Taylor situation, right? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's things on the horizon. We have the election coming up. So there's a lot of things that we're still dealing with in the backdrop, but we still have to show up for students, particularly those who look like us. Um, mm -hmm. So thinking about it, you know, there's a lot of times with folks, I've, I've heard someone say this before at a presentation. It's like, you know, people keep saying that we're all in the same thing. And it's like, yeah, but not really. So like we're all in the same water but we're not all in the same boat, mm. right? And some folks don't even have a boat. Some folks don't even have a little life raft, right? Mm -hmm. um, so just really thinking about that and how we have to recharge ourselves and be okay with that and understand that that doesn't make us weak, that makes us human. So I think that's just important to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I was actually having that conversation today with, with educators nonetheless <laughs> about the fact that, you know, one thing there's, there's this normalcy, right? With the COVID pandemic, we're talking about, oh, we're all, we all have this sense of feeling together, right? Because we're all kind of going through the quote unquote same things. And the reality is we're not experiencing it at the same rate. And we need to be attentive to that. What does that mean? How do we actually navigate? Okay, I haven't lost somebody from COVID. You might've lost both your parents to it. Someone else is dealing with not just the, COVID pandemic, but you're also dealing with, again, you know, racism. You're also dealing with a lot on your job. You're dealing with kids who can, literally can't sit still at home. You're dealing with having to work um, and basically be a substitute teacher on the side for your kids from the computer. So like, there's so many things that people are going through and it's not necessarily impacting everyone at the same rate or at the same pace and being aware of that. 
And which is even more reason why you really need to practice really good, healthy self-care, have good, healthy boundaries, and really be aware of how you're impacted during this time. If there's ever a reason to be in tune with your mind, body, and soul in this season, it is now. So let's, you know, do the work. So that way you can be the best version of yourself in your homes today, tomorrow, and the day after that. Absolutely. And another wonderful comment here from you, Rose. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Oliver. I needed to hear this today. Very encouraging. And I and I agree. I think we all needed to hear this. And I think we all need to hear this on a routine basis. So hopefully next month, Dr. Ashley Oliver will be joining us once again to share her wisdom and her wonderful, encouraging thoughts. Absolutely. I'd love to join y'all. I'm always, I always have a great time talking to y'all and just, you know, sharing and, you know, really getting into some deep truths. And remind the folks where they can find you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am on Instagram at, at dr.dr.ashleyoliver. Again, that's at dr.ashleyoliver. Absolutely. And the link is in the description. As well as the suicide hotline that you provided. So thank you for that, Dr. Ashley Oliver. Oh, awesome. That's great. And does anyone else have any questions before we sign off? Speaking to those in the comments. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I did actually, I did pose questions on my Instagram today just so people could have for this conversation and I did get a few questions, so let me just... Oh, there we go. Um, okay, so one of the questions that I did get for today's episode um, was, why are mental health issues considered diseases or negative? Mm, great question. Um, so one of the things that... Um, so why are mental health issues considered diseases? I'll start with first. Um, so... Actually, today, currently, now they're typed as disorders. They used to be called diseases, um, which is a very subtle change, but it is a difference, right? And so um, when we talk about disease, a lot of times mental health was grouped into all medical terminology, and all medical terminology was a disease. And so specifically, it was called a disease um, many, many years ago. And so with a lot of things that just carry over, some things get carried over. So now it's technically classified as disorders, um, and that's how we classify them today. Um, but essentially what happens is a long time ago, things were called something, and it just carries over over time. And that's just the name that people have stuck to over time to give a, a very like bare bones kind of answer to that. Um, and, and then to carry on to the next part of the question, which is why um, they're the issues that quote unquote are considered negative um, because a lot of times we go based on what's normal versus not normal, right? So the normal brain is someone who's healthy, someone who has it all together, no one who's, you know, atypical in any way, shape or form. And, and it's also normal equals positive, you know, atypical equals negative. Um, <laughs> and it's always bad. And so that's another reason why, you know, if you, go on my page um, on Instagram or go on and and look up for yourself 
that's why it's important to normalize a lot of things. That's why it's important to talk about a lot of things because some people might look at something and be like, oh my God, that's absolutely terrible. Um, this is so bad. This is so negative. And they don't give themselves the opportunity or space to look at something from a different perspective. It can't just be all or nothing, good and bad. And we don't take anything else for it. You know, we could, we could technically look at... Um, I was actually reading an article the other day. Don't ask me why. It was super random. But it was talking about some of the world's um, most gifted athletes. And I think one of them was talking about, I forget her name, but she is a um, black woman who runs track and field. And a lot of people were coming against her because of the fact that she naturally produces um, more testosterone than the average woman. Right? And so technically, what she has would be considered a disorder. When you're talking about from the track and field world, that's considered gift. Um, when you look at Michael Phelps, he actually physically um, produces, I forget exactly what it is, but, but chemically speaking, there is an imbalance in his body, which makes him more apt to swim better, um, to perform better. And so for some people who are medically looking at him could be like, okay, this is bad you know, for your body. But guess what? For swimming, it is perfect. It is ideal. And so I say that to say, in one lens, this is a bad thing. And in another lens, it's a good thing. And again, not trying to, to use the trope of good versus bad, but I want people to see that from different lenses, the same thing can look very different ways depending on the story that you put behind it. And so what I want to do essentially is tell people, let's change the story. You know, a mental health disorder doesn't have to be something that is a death sentence or be something that's bad. We can talk about it in a way that's actually normal and healthy. I guarantee you, based on the actual numbers and percentages, everybody knows somebody that deals with anxiety. Everyone knows someone that deals with depression. Probably everyone knows somebody that has had or continues to have some type of suicidal ideation or suicidal thoughts. And so the more we can talk about that and, and talk about it in a normal way or provide some level of normalcy to it, um, the more that we can shift from those you know, paradigms of like, okay, it's just good versus bad but maybe it's just, okay, normal, typical, everyday language for us. Absolutely, and you said you had some more questions as well. I have, okay, so I have one more question. Okay, and the question was, can you give some insight on ways in which people who are struggling right now in this season could get, sorry, there's, it's really small wording. <laughs> could you give some insight into, okay. So essentially people who are dealing or struggling with anxiety, like what, what resources would I give? Um, so first and foremost, thank you for the question. I think that that's a great question. And I think it's, it's a general, general enough question that it just doesn't help one person, but it helps a lot of people. Um, so specifically with anxiety, I think that one, one thing that I want to say about a lot of mental health disorders and mental health issues is that they're absolutely treatable. And I don't think people realize how treatable certain things are because a lot of times we look at pain and we're like, okay, you take Advil. Like it can almost be as simple as that. Not that you just take Advil for anxiety, but I'm saying that it can literally be so simple. It literally can be as simple as talking to people, having a routine, um, seeing a therapist. Like I guarantee you, 
seeing a therapist can change a lot of things. And I'm not even talking about you see them for 12 years. I'm talking about you see them for eight sessions. <laughs> like that can drastically change things for you. So I would absolutely say that getting in contact with a good um, therapist would absolutely help. And that is a great resource. And also too, there are tons and tons of resources on anxiety specifically, looking into them and start doing them and start practicing that. Because I think that that is the great thing about technology. Absolutely. And all that is definitely needed. And thank you once again, Dr. Ashley Oliver. Thank you, Professor Israel. I do have to concur with Claude Diz. This was a wonderful conversation and I look forward to it next month as well. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Doc. Yeah, right. I, I love saying that, Doctor Ashley Oliver. I'm I'm milking that all the way to the bank. <laughs> well, thank y'all. Thank y'all for having me. For real, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you once again, and thank you everyone in the audience for participating. We really appreciate it. And don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe if you're watching it when it's not live. So thank you once again, and enjoy the rest of your evening. You repeat what they created and get power to hate, but worst of all, we disappoint. All the great Black Lives Matter Black Lives Matter Yeah